Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lightning podcast. On today's show, we have the Nailed president, Spencer Miles, and his business partner, Johnny Concrete Elias, talking about their recent acquisition, their recent takeover of Pacific Lamp and Supply out of Seattle. Um, Where's Seattle? Washington, not Oregon. Washington. I'm Canadian. I almost said Oregon. <laughs> Seattle, Oregon. Seattle, Washington. But before we get there, we're going to go back to the Flicker Free Original, son. Energy Focus. Go to E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com. Baby, that's energyfocus.com. The Flicker Free Original and the home of the lighting industry scholarly gentleman, John Davenport. Hey, Greggy. That's right. They are. And, and they also put right on their website, America's most reliable LED tubes. And I think that's important because they are making a stand. They're saying LED tubes are the future. They are where we're going. And they have some of the most uh, unique offerings that are out there. Number one, you mentioned the flicker free. How important is that? Super important. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see end users actually are showing me videos of their um, slow motion video of seeing the lights flicker. So people are starting to notice flicker. And these guys have been on the flicker side of things for a long time, flicker free side of things for a long time. So check that out. They also have T5 tubes. They have red cap, emergency backup tubes, IntelliTubes that are ballast bypass, ballast compatible. And uh, the list goes on. You can see on their website here as Scott's pulling up. Uh, they're dedicated to that and making it the highest quality it can be. And not only that, but Energy Focus is going to be at the Nailed Convention. That's right. And they're going to be debating another Nailed vendor, integrated versus LED tubes. And we're going to have Love the it. debate <laughs> at Nailed Vision 2020, April 19th to 23rd, Biloxi, Mississippi. Be there or be square, man. We're putting on a show. There's going to be a debate. Who's going to win the debate? Integrated versus T-led. Bam! I can't wait to see that. We're going to crown a winner there, Greggy. You're going to crown him. Then crown him. <laughs> Spencer Miles and Johnny Concrete on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting. Welcome back, Spencer Miles. And welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, John Elias. Actually, you've been on two on a roundtable, a uh, scrub roundtable. Yes, sir. Both two-timers. Oof. Back again. So, guys. This might be my third, actually, because we were in the Vegas one, too. Oh, yeah. Third. Yeah. So, my first three time. <laughs> Maybe. Congratu- congratulations, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, a uh, hundred year old company. You just, what, well, you closed the deal in November, was it? September 30th. September 30th, you guys became the proud owners yeah. of Pacific Lamp and Supply in Seattle. That's correct. Yes, sir. What was that process like for you guys in terms of emotionally first? How did it feel? Spencer? Uh, not much different, really, because uh, we'd been running the company day-to-day operations for the last, for myself at least, the last six years. So it wasn't much different from that standpoint. The relief of being over with the bank was probably the biggest emotional um, thing we had. John? Uh, honestly, not much really changed except for getting over that hump of working with the bank. Like emotionally, <laughs> it's, it feels exactly the same. I mean, we've been doing the same thing day in, day out for so long. It's, you know, it's a title change and that's, you know, kind of it feels like. Maybe it just hasn't set in really quite yet. But emotionally, I feel like it's, it's been kind of our company already. I mean, we were running it, right? So just having that flip of paper that says we own it, you know, 
doesn't a very necessarily... expensive slip of paper, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what do each of you do there? So, Spencer, what do you do? And Johnny, what do you do? Uh, well, prior was the general manager, vice president, so now president. But I, I try to do more of the day-to-day work on the business stuff, you know, deal with payroll, deal with uh, um, the state, taxes, all that type of stuff. But obviously, being a small company, you do everything. So we also mm-hmm. do a lot of sales, do help with purchasing, help the inside people, the outside people, trucks, you know, everything. So, um, but that mainly I try to just stick to operations. Johnny, what's your title? Uh, previously, I was titled a sales manager, but I guess now I'm the vice president. But that a baby. still doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys, did you guys print we new cards like... the first on September 30th? <laughs> no, it took us no, to like, like October. three weeks. <laughs> three weeks? Okay. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, we got to do that. Yeah. So, Spencer, big, big you're the president. Right? You're the president. Correct. You're the vice president. Are you his boss? I guess <laughs> technically by paper, maybe? <laughs> We're partners. We're partners. Okay. That's right. Yes. Um, I'm the co-host. Mike's a host. (laughs) See, there you go. Is he your boss? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. I get to talk more. There you go. That's true. Um, So so let me ask you this. How did it come to be you two? And I don't know which one of you guys wants to feel this out, but I remember Spencer from many conventions going back probably Mm. 2009-ish. Spencer Mm. nailed. Oh six was my first one. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you were you started oh. when I started in nailed, um, mm-hmm. and then so you're going back to Sandestin. Mm-hmm. Right. It's my first one. Yep. Johnny, I saw you coming in what two three years ago, maybe four three. About three, I think. Yeah. So how did you guys decide to start having the conversations of the? Because it was always a talk of Spencer. We all knew that. You know, Spencer was in that pipeline that basically it was more of a formalization for what you were already doing, Spencer. But we didn't know Johnny Elias as well. Um, how did how did those conversations between the two of you go in terms of, hey, you want to take this thing over, man? Um, you know, what do you got? How did, how did that all happen? Uh, well, I mean, first, the previous owner, you know, he'd owned it since 1963 and he had passed away, unfortunately. So it was in the will that an employee with a certain amount of tenure uh, would have first right of refusal. And nobody really stepped up. Um, obviously, I was in that position of, of running you know, the, as general manager. So for me, it was always a dream to do that. I'd been working there for, at that time, 16 years. So it was a you know, dream to actually own the company. And... As I started the process kind of down my by myself, I quickly realized I probably couldn't do it by myself. And, you know, cash flow wise, there's just a lot of reasons why. Then John had shown interest and his interest is from coming inside sales to outside sales to sales manager and just his his interest in the company and in the industry. I knew I knew he was the right guy to to partner with. And he he had mentioned it as well. What John probably two years ago, when the when the opportunity arose that we could do it, uh, yeah, it was about two. John, what's so, your what, what's your yeah, what's so. your take on that? Sounds accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
So you guys, uh, your titles change, but there's really nothing about your day-to-day work that has changed. Or Spencer, it's got to be a little no. different. I would no? say when we were when we were dealing with the bank and the SBA association to get the the you know money to do it, it was a heavy burden, a lot of hours a day focused on that, and you're just you're grinding, and you're still trying to do your same job, right? So while mm-hmm. trying to still do what you do your day-to-day basis to bring that on and i would say it was probably an added two to four hours a day and when it got real heavy there in july and august it might have been up to five to six hours a day so it meant a lot of late nights you know catching up your you know your texts and your emails at the in the evening so that was that was hard i say the biggest relief was just i don't have to deal with the bank anymore money's transferred so it kind of freed up my time and the first couple weeks you're like what am I going to do with my day? I don't have to go get my paycheck stubs or how did they find this money in a bank account, those type of things and, and prove it to the bank. That was probably the biggest relief. So you were dealing with, it, it was, were you dealing with an estate as well? Yes, as well. Yes, so, okay, but luckily so we're on good terms. You know, we've, I've known them 19 years, I guess. So yeah. I knew everybody on the, in the estate and they were, they were on our side. You know, they wanted us to, to be the ones to purchase it as well. They didn't want it to get purchased by a big conglomerate and you know, all the employees lose, you know, lose out or, or someone just buy us up for our account base or inventory. So uh, they wanted, they knew John and I had the passion. So they wanted us to, to be the two to, t- to take it to the next, you know, the next generation, I guess. Hmm. So then so you, let's you, go ahead, Greg, you go. You uh, go. I was going to say you two both get to answer this, but you guys bought the company for a reason. What excites you about the future of lighting or about owning this company? You both answer. I don't care what order. Go, John. Not the same answer. <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a that's interesting. I don't think I thought about the future of lighting and the process of it. You know, it's nope. if you're you're living a day in and day out, right? It's something that you do. You know, this is a this is our job. You know, we we love it, but I don't think the thought of owning Pacific Lamp was. Like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be part of the future of lighting. Like that never really, you know, that that, that perspective never crossed my mind, at least. Right. Um, but as far as knowing that I'm going to be in it for probably a lot longer than I normally would if I you know, didn't own the, a company that was in lighting, um, mm-hmm. I guess I should start thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> what you for me? For me, the thing that drove it was the employees. I mean, we have a lot of long-term employees. So to own the company and, and keep them in the positions they're in, you know, our, our sales team and our, our warehouse, and, and to to not be sold off and have those people lose their jobs, that was probably one of my driving factors. Um, but for lighting, it is exciting, right? We If you were in lighting in the early 2000s, what were we doing? We were selling T8s. And it was exciting because we were saving, what, 8% or, you know, a couple watts here and there. And to see the evolution since 2011 when LED came into our world and threw us all, you know, for a loop uh, has been very exciting. And now, I don't know if you saw our Twitter recently. We uh, we just lit a building downtown Seattle. It's the one of the bigger buildings down there. We're doing color changing on it. So... For me, I get to drive home every night and see that building, you know, changing colors. It's pretty exciting to know we did that. Exterior lighting? Is it all exterior? Color kinetics. Yeah. Yeah. So to see, 
to see our people helping change the skyline of Seattle. It's kind of cool, and that's exciting. But it is so, uncertain times, gentlemen. There's a lot of uncertainty. That's, that's what you think about at 2 a.m. when you wake up. Yeah. Right? Sure. <laughs> it's not what we're thinking about during the day. We're worried about the PO. But, yeah, you're right. At night or you're, when you're in your car alone, um, yeah, you think about that. You see all these companies going out of business, and you want to make sure you don't make the same mistakes they made. What worries? What 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 specifically worries you the most? Like I could I could reel off a couple different things, concerns that I've come up with, but I my mind is kind of polluted by the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Sometimes I forget mm. that I run Atlas Lighting every day, and that when I go out there, there's an order desk, there's a counter. <laughs> yeah. You know, people Speedos. walk in. Yeah, and yeah. they're not they're not interested in ninety nine percent of them are not interested in tunable light bulbs. They just want the mm. CFL ballast they're looking for. They just want that, you know. What is the thing that, you know, that you could, that as a being in the game 19 years, now being an owner, having a different perspective, even though you say it's the same, I don't believe you fully. I think it's, I think, I think there's a difference. There's a stakeholderness to you now that maybe is going to, maybe is going to uh, slowly and steadily change who you are as a person. I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, yeah, when you're an entrepreneur, um, and you ha- you're the owner, and the buck stops with you in that. I'm sure you felt that way all along, but it's going to be different. When you're up at night, what is the specific thing that concerns you the most, Spencer? About our industry? Yeah. I'd say number one would be online. And you're seeing a you, – as the building engineers become younger and younger, right, or, you know, or become our age, whatever you want to say, they've grown up in a world where their cell phone is everything. Now, I, I like to say as, as long as we keep offering value and as long as we keep being the go-to place for all the answers, their customers will continue to come. But what you're going to lose is that easy MRO business, the guy just needing a case of lamps. And you have a younger generation that isn't used to picking up the phone and calling a special, you know, specialized lighting distributor for their lighting. They're going to go to Amazon. They're going to go to you know whatever other company has created a massive uh, online ordering portal. So that, to me, that's the one where you, if you start losing your MRO every day, now you're reliant upon only projects and that can get very dicey. So that's, I would say, you want to keep that MRO going. And even in the LED world, we're seeing MRO. You know, this stuff doesn't last what everybody says it will. So drivers are failing, which have become the new ballasts, right? Instead of ordering a two lamp T8 ballast, you're ordering a you know, 28 volt, you know, 750 milliamp, uh, LED driver. So as long as we can continue to be the co- the go-to place for that, it doesn't worry me too much. But I would say your your easy orders no longer are easy. We have a we have uh we have an expression around Atlas. Everything's a project. Everything's a mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. everything we sell. Like we do have some some ongoing customer will call up and say you know, send me this, but so much stuff is unavailable now. Um, we've tried to talk them into LED and now it's all, even when it's a reorder of LED, it's like, well, that light efficient, um, not sorry. Um, what was that company out of, uh, Florida? What were they called? Um, they were a nailed member for a bit. Lighting sciences group, that lighting sciences group, par 38 is no longer available. You actually have to use a different bulb and it looks like this and it's, this thing and it's a slightly different thing and so everything requires an explanation how is pacific lamp handling that technical side of it on the order desk 
it's very heavy education. You got to educate your people. Uh, and I would say we're, we're, we're different from the fact that our inside team probably has a combined uh, 25 years, I would say, somewhere in there. And they're all still under 35. So they've been with us, you know, one maybe not their first job out of college, but maybe their first career. So that's very helpful when you have the same people you can go to constantly. And, and the customers know I can always email that person who has the answer. And we have the backbone to support them. So when they don't know the answer, we can get help them find it or give it to them. So I think that's what sets us apart. You guys, you talked about online ordering, and I, I get that to some degree, but you know what the easiest way to order is? I can show you. Text a person. Look Text at those a person. Yeah, I, need, right. I, need, yeah. I need this, this, and this. Mm. When, you have, when you have a trusted customer, they send you a text, send me six light fixtures, three cases of track lights, and 24 bathroom lights. That's a lot easier for me if I was going to be a maintenance person. You think about it. They're like, I don't know. Okay, I need light bulbs. Picture. Send it. Picture, send it. Yeah. Otherwise, they have to go and do all that research. So I think I think that's something that before we really throw that over to Spencer, that. I have a question for you though. Yeah, you grab that custom. What Spencer was saying was that yeah, I have my existing customer base that's thirty five plus that's used to emailing and calling me, but the new mm -hmm. generation. I bet you that customer that texted you, um, he's probably in his forties, right? He's thirty. He's younger. So oh, he's younger. no, okay. he's okay. Yeah, so I, I but I got in, I got into there because of the old maintenance person, exactly. and then I met with him when he started. See, yeah, and then I just said, I'm going to make it easy for you, man. You can text me, you can call me, you can email me, whatever you need. And he texts me once a week with orders like that. See, I, picture that, but, quantity. But the, the the here's what I find: I find the acquisition cost of new customers to be prohibitive because of the lack of MRO. Correct. Yep, I agree. You well, know, it's true. like you're chasing a project. So all of a sudden that, you know, 15 story office building with, you know, whatever, 300 two by fours and six wall packs on it is not as attractive as a customer anymore because it's simply a project. Right. And once yep. you get that project, the acquisition or being, being able to hang on to that client after they do an LED upgrade without the MRO is very, very difficult, man. It's not the same as it was 10, 15 years ago, for sure. And it's going to continue to change that way. I agree with that, absolutely. Because yeah, before you would do a T12 to T8 conversion, they still needed T8s every year, right? Yeah, sure. Still needed a ballast every five years. So you, you were able to, you were turn your projects into MRO customers. Exactly. Today, you're not necessarily, unless there's more projects to do and you didn't do a full facility upgrade. Um, yeah, that's not really an MRO customer at that point. Like Atlas Lighting was built on hundred to five hundred dollar orders. Yeah, like that's what it was like. Yeah, we got the odd two thousand dollar PO for a hundred ballasts mm. and six mm. cases of lamps or whatever. But most of the time, it was two or three boxes of bulbs, a box of ballasts, and a case of MR sixteens. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, like those, I mean, we still get the odd order for that, but they get a call right away asking them if they want LED. And then a lot of times they say yes, and we move forward with that. But in in the future, I think that most lighting distributors like Pacific Lamp, like Premier Lighting, like Atlas Lighting need to somehow create a system which takes your your project, your product knowledge and digitizes it and makes it available to the customer. So the client acquisition cost goes down 
to the a place that is relative to the value of the customer. Does that make sense at all? I don't know if that's a confusing statement or if that's a one minute clip for Twitter, but we need to become more efficient at acquiring customers as distributors. John Elias, you're the sales manager. Why don't you yeah. take a shot at that one? Am I right about that? Am I wrong? Or is it, did we just keep going? Um, I mean, I think there's still, a, you know, a degree of MRO business, no matter what stage of a, of a project a building has gone through, whether it's a hundred percent led at this point or only, you know, 10, 15, 20, whatever, you know, those customers are still going to need, you know, parts and pieces. They're still going to, you know, have lenses break, something's going to happen and they're going to need help knowing where to go to find those, um, you know, odds and ends. And I think in that respect, us as lighting professionals actually become a little more valuable because any, you know, if you go to like Home Depot, they're not necessarily going to know how to do a tunable LED driver at that point. You know, they may have to come to, to us or know where to go to that manufacturer to get, you know, that specific piece to the LED if it's a 100% LED building. Um, yeah, you might not get the the large orders, you know, go walking in there, but you still be able to to get that relationship. And he may not call you every day, but you know you'll still be able to be a, a valuable service to that uh, person, to that building. So I think as long as you keep it as a, um, I would say a human to human relationship versus thinking of it just as a, you know, B two B business. You know, you got to keep that human aspect and treat every customer like, you know, you care about them personally. That person's going to come to you. Um, you know, even for the smallest thing. And and if we kind of focus on that, you know, I think we'll, we'll be okay. So. That's a good point. Uh, as far as replacement LEDs or LED market, are you guys doing a lot of LED to LED? Are you starting to see that? Cause I, I look at my business and starting in about, I think it was 14, 2014, we started selling LEDs and then obviously 15, 16 heavy um, and 17 and through on. But I'm starting to see some some of those projects that I sold come back now with, you know, whether it's defective and it's a warranty claim or they just need new product. A lot of it was screwing stuff that is on 24-7. Those are going to burn out every three years or two years still. Mm -hmm. So there is that MRO aspect to that. But how are you guys seeing it in your market? We're seeing it already replacing LED replacements with LED. Um, and the, the big facility guys, they knew and planned in, you know, if they were already doing group relamps with fluorescent, they knew every two to three years group relamp. With LED, we're noticing they're doing it about five to six now. So you're still we're we're already working on projects and you know big big quantities of LED tubes that okay hey it's been five years we're starting to get failures group relamp time. So I think if How about uh, uh, group refixture time. Mm. I think that's com <laughs> that's they, coming. To... <laughs> you have to right. <laughs> you're gonna have yeah. to. Uh, I've had many conversations <laughs> with uh, facility contractors um, or you know, facility engineers, and absolutely, they know that they have. I think accepted that. You know, one of the one of the guys that runs a lot of buildings downtown had told me a couple of years ago that he would never go LED because he put the fixture in in the '60s. You know, when they built the, the facility, he changed it, upgraded it, made it T8. You know, did all this, kept changing the fixture, getting more efficient, getting rebates. But he never took the shell out of the ceiling, right? Now with LED, when it fails, the shell's coming out. 
So that was two years ago. He told me he'd never do that. He'd go to tubes only, and they're redoing the entire facility with LED troughers. And he's accepted the fact that it is now a you know four to five year product in all their buildings. Well, you know, it's interesting that you know, I, I'm not sure if this is a tragedy or a huge piece of good luck for us. <laughs> I look at it yeah. as good luck. You know, because be. <laughs> like I mean, I so I mean, let, let let me put on my environmentalist cap for a minute. Okay, because I have a tinfoil cap. I have an environmentalist <laughs> cap. I got a bunch of different Scotty. caps that I, I wear. All it's right. supposed to make me that tinfoil cap, Scotty. Oh, it's on, look, there's going to be a whole prop closet back here yeah, for you. Oh, there we go. So, but I think it's interesting. Like, you take a look at the life cycle of that fixture, 1960s. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you start off with, what is it, like 18-gauge steel? It probably weighs 20 pounds, just the case <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Uh, of an mm-hmm. old troffer from the 60s. Right, he probably had the same sockets from like 1960 to 1985, 25 years. So yeah, good, a good sales guy sold him new sockets. Yeah, at some point, but at some point he upgraded the sockets when he went yep. LED. His fixture probably went from a polychlorinated biphenyl PCB ballast, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. originally that lasted 20 years because the ballast, the the PCBs are so good at extracting the heat that they make that like we still pull out PCB ballast up here in Canada. Wow. Um, and then he went to T8 and you're looking at the life cycle of that, that asset, right? So that asset had a life cycle for him of 65 years. Like think about the life cycle of the asset. So you maintain it, you maintain it, you maintain it, you maintain it. It stays in the ceiling. You maintain it, you maintain it, you maintain it, change the lens, change this, right? Now we've increased the life of the light source. But we've decreased the life cycle of the actual fixture. Is that beneficial to the environment or not? Probably not the environment. No, I mean, although we are saving energy, right? So I guess right. But I mean, but how much energy does it take? How much energy does it take to make a two by four trough? (laughs) Put it it in a box, ship it across the ocean from China. Put it on a shelf at Pacific Lamp, ship it over to some guy, have an electrician take it out in five years, put in a new one, throw that one in the garbage. Uh, 90% of the stuff in it is totally unrecyclable. Maybe 50% is recyclable or recoverable. The rest of it just goes to landfill or gets incinerated. I mean, to me, with my environmentalist hat on, I don't see the... Uh, I, I don't see the... I don't see the authenticity in the environmental play. Am I wrong? I would agree from that. St- no, I'd agree from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Like to you're me, you're saying that's the a- energy savings won't outweigh the cost of having to recycle it. Like right now, it makes sense because you're taking out something inefficient. But in five years, when you're taking out an efficient LED and putting in a little bit more efficient LED, but you have to recycle it or throw it out. I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's going to be where the issue really comes in. Like, there's a lot of energy, not electricity necessarily. There is electricity, but there's a lot of energy involved in addressing a burned-out fixture as opposed to changing a tube, right? There's a lot of work involved in that. And, uh, you know, I, I look at it and I, I wonder to myself, like even, I mean, in Toronto, Toronto's still all HPS. The city of Toronto proper is all HPS. And they have the same fixtures on those, those things that are 25 years old, right? There's no way you're going to get a life cycle like that out of, out of LED. And so I wonder to myself with my environmentalist cap on, not my Atlas Lighting Lighting Distributor cap, I wonder to myself if, you know, if customers are going to feel a little bit, I mean, we have to look at the customer 
its feelings too about the industry as a whole when we talk and get a grip on lighting, right? The podcast and nailed. I think there's going to be some resentment at the customer level. I don't know. I'd say certain a certain set of people who it would take a very environmentalist centered customer to understand that. I would think most customers, I would say, you want to call it greenwash, whatever. They know they're saving energy. They think they're doing the right thing for the environment, right? They probably don't know. They don't know what we know. (laughs) Yeah, they get a big rebate, right? So they that's their justification on it. And to me, it's like I look at it and I think, man. That seems like a, you know, knowing this business the way I know it and seeing that, I think that the industry has to come up with some serious productivity gains, health effects, human-centric lighting to actually make a case to these people that not only do you have to change it, but you should. I think that's where we got to go. Or we go to a place where it's replaceable, like fluorescent was. You know, you, right now we can replace drivers for the most part. You can't replace that LED board. You know, it's tech screwed on or it's glued on. You're not getting that out. So how do you, why hasn't anybody come up with the idea of a replaceable light source? I've seen it in cans. It seemed to have failed miserably. There's a couple out there. That, what do they call it? Future, future proof? But not yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's, Doesn't a, quite there, work. There, there's something called the Jaga Consortium, which is trying to uh, convince lighting manufacturers to make the mechanical components of LED fixtures standardized, right? Mm-hmm. So that they're inter they're interconnectable. Interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. And the, the case behind it is that, and this is my own take, this is not from the Jaga consortium. It's sort of me interviewing them and coming across them from time to time, is that innovation is wasted on mechanical fittings. Let's spend all our innovation time on the actual light source. So for example, I think the area where you've seen the most innovation in, in LED and in lighting is in uh, T-LEDs, right? Yes. The fastest development, the most yeah. innovation, uh, you know, the most uh, options for the client at the end of the day. And the reason for that is because the form factor is set. You have to make the device 48 inches long, medium bipin socket on the end, it has to be an inch thick. And these are the color temperatures that you're allowed to make it in. Now, go, sucker. Innovate, 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 right? Yeah. And it, I, like, if someone were to come to me, I'd say, you know what? Unless you're a super high-end building, like really, and you want something, you know, like a, something that looks nice, I would go with ballast-free troffers with a white opal lens and bypass LED flicker-free lamps. No, I don't know. That's like that's what I would do if it was just a general office environment. I would, Greg, what, I would, I would, I would counter that though and say if you're you're try if you're a facility, you know, engineer, you're, you're a building owner, you're trying to woo in those really high end, let's say, tech customers to you know come sign a ten year lease. You're not putting that fixture in, right? You you want that really just something that sets you apart. And what have they done in LED troffers? They've they've made ones that look not like those and it woos in those customers to come sign a 10-year lease so that you're never going to really sell that unless it's a you know kitchen you know the back of house in a kitchen something like that yeah you're not you're not selling that in office buildings i agree Greg, what's your yeah, it all depends on on the you're talking for existing building or new construction i Sorry, would say for existing a, buildings i would say like in a retrofit yeah. project scenario mm-hmm. i would say that you know uh 
the I would say a good 60% of the stock of buildings out there are better off with a Flicker 3 bias bypass lamp, bias, ballast bypass lamp in the long run. So I would agree be, with that only because we probably sell that 60 <laughs> to 70% of the time, you know, yeah. and it's not, it's, and yeah. we leave it up to the customer. We give them the options and that's what ends up happening most of the time it is they want to just retrofit what they have. Are you, are you guys in Seattle seeing, are you doing more fixtures or more retrofit parts like tubes? Oh, John answer. Um, Johnny. I haven't seen the, the exact numbers recently, but I would say it's, it's, probably leaning more towards tubes um, slightly. I mean, we do a lot of, of fixtures, but uh, there are, seems like there's a lot of more tubes. Um, now to, to counter or maybe add another argument to that, you know, ballast bypass flicker free lamp solution, which is, you know, the easiest. And I, I would say if someone just wants like the, the easiest solution, boom, let's do it. But if they want to add in a, a complexity of like controls um, to their building, that they didn't have before you kind of have to go to a, a new fixture you know with that zero to 10 volt driver to be able to to control it um a little bit better than just a bypass lamp you know if you want daylight harvesting or you know being able to to dim a fixture above your desk and no one else's you know you you can't really do that with just the the bypass lamps so you know if a building owner says give me the easiest solution, but I want to do all this other stuff. You kind of have to like separate them and be like, all right, do you want the easy solution? Boom. We'll give you bypass lamps. Or do you want all this other stuff? We'll have to do new fixtures. Or so you, when you guys, permit, there's code. if there's code, sure. right? If, if you're, if you're doing a TI and you have to pull a permit and you got to now meet 2015 or 2018 code, you got a daylight harvest. Bob, so you guys mentioned that the table. Yeah, when you do fixtures, when you do right now, when you're selling fixtures, you are proactively telling people that they're going to have to replace the entire fixture and and actually planning for that, or are you just saying that we're going to do that and and we'll plan for it when the time comes? Like going back to the group refixturing, if that's a I term. would say it, it depends on the customer. Some okay, I would say a lot of people believe LED lasts forever. I would so say I would say you that. probably default to all of us that when asked, you mm-hmm. default to full and frank disclosure. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. But if if the customer doesn't bring it up and they're living in an illusion and you're in a competitive environment, as a salesman, you don't put negative stuff on the table. Come on, man. Nobody does that. <laughs> no. No. You know? Well, the other guy saying his fixtures are warranted for ten years. Yeah, I'm the host of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, and that guy's full of crap. But I mean, that doesn't fly. <laughs> Nobody cares no. about that, right? So, no. um, you know, it's like uh, when you're in that scenario. You know, you're sitting there. Okay, here's the cost. Here's the warranty. Um, you know, uh, what's the maintenance cost of this? Oh, well, uh, you know, the driver is uh, eighty dollars right now, and yeah, the array, the LED board is not replaceable. What do you mean it's not replaceable? No, you just can't. You can't take it out and replace it. Oh, so what do I do when it burns out? You got to change the fixture. So I'm, I'm sure you guys have had that conversation, but the end user customer doesn't rarely ask that question. No, no, no I haven't, they I've never, never had anybody proactively say, all right, I'm going to plan for seven years from now replacing all of these. I've never had that conversation with anybody. I would say we're only you know, seeing that in the, in the uh, building engineer world. That's the only, only vertical sure. we're seeing that in. Mm-hmm. 
And so the people I mean, that when you go buy new buildings. New buildings. Yeah. 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 Sure. Johnny. Uh, it's like when you, when you go buy a new phone personally. Do you ask the, the guy selling you the phone, hey, when am I going to have to replace this? No, you, you just want no. a new phone. You, you wait until they throw I mean, your battery. Back, yeah. The, the back of your mind, you know it's not going to last you know, however long you want it to. But it's not a, I don't think as consumers, we've, we've been trained to ask, when do I have to replace this? Right? So when we're out there selling lighting, the consumer, you know, back of their mind, they may know that it's, it's not going to last forever, but they're not, you know, they're not trained to think like, oh, I have to plan for when this goes out. So that would be, so what's gonna be interesting. that's the, I consider yeah, that what? bad management or poor planning. Like that's what I would get like from the out again, yeah. management hat on here. So if, uh, if someone came like, here's the difference. Lighting is not a consumer product. Okay. And the industry wants so badly for it to be a consumer product. I mean, for years we've heard about, oh, people are going to address their lighting and people are going to be able to control and dim the one just above their desk. All of our anecdotal experiences, I would bet, would be that if you put a lighting control system on it, people try it day one and then forget about it for the rest yes. of the time, right? Right. Absolutely, so yep. what lighting actually is, is a asset fixed to real property. It's not a consumer product. Okay, yeah. and so when when the customer is engaging in in this, they're assuming uh, a life cycle to that asset, which is not aligned to the life that we know that asset's going to last. Okay, so if if somebody makes a capital investment in lighting, they probably have to amortize that. They can't expense that. They have to amortize that as an improvement to real property. I'm sure you guys have this battle with your customers, whether it's maintenance or capital expenditure, right? CapEx versus maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. Comes up. That's what, yep. uh, uh, that's what the um, lighting, as a, lighting as a service is about, service, or lux yeah. as a service is about, right? It's like, well, you can make it a maintenance. You can make it a monthly cost rather than a CapEx. If it's a CapEx, the accountants are probably going to come back based on the state and the laws and say, no, no, you have to amortize that lighting cost over 15 years. Well, you have to amortize that over 10 years, expense it slowly over 10 years. There's a life cycle to it. And we all know that the life cycle doesn't match the capital expenditure depreciation of a lighting system. And the industry, and that, no, the industry is starting to come around to this and kind of like, yeah, we're, you know, we're out of the, um, uh, we're, we're out of the phase of, um, uh, what's the bias called? It's called a, um. Ah, there's a biased name for this, but we're out of the bias of believing our own crap that light that LEDs last forever, and now we're actually deploying systems that can't be expensed relative to their own life cycle. Like, imagine going to an accountant and saying, "Sorry, Bean Counter, you don't know what I know, but you need to expense this capital expenditure over five years or seven years because we're going to have to replace the fixtures five to ten years from now." Oh, no, but lighting systems have a capital expenditure to, uh, amortization of 15 years in history, 20 years. But can't, can't, can't you counter that cost by saying over that five-year period, you're not buying fluorescent lamps, ballasts, and paying a day porter to change lamps all day, Yeah, maybe, which was a full-time maybe a full-time employee. So you know, in a major market, you're saving you know, $70,000 a year on that employee for, for the business cost. And then, you know, all of your maintenance costs, it could be close. I don't know. I mean, I haven't run the numbers, but 
I would say if, if I was in a CFO seat, I would think of it that way. Yeah. So I, I, I generally, Greg, anything past mm-hmm. a three-year payback never materializes unless it's a financial, yeah, unless it's a purely financial play. Okay. So unless you're saying I'm going to buy this treasury bond and it's a 10-year bond and this is going to be my payback. And even that, I mean, in 2008, you might not have gotten your money back. I don't know how the bond market is or whatever, but, but you know, these things are like that. When it comes to improvements to real property, like HVAC, oh yeah, it's a six-year payback. By the time you start to get later on in those paybacks, it pushes, it, it, like other things start to enter the equation, unknowns start to enter the equation that start to eat away at that payback. And so it's very difficult to realize anything beyond three years in a, in a capital expenditure, improvement to real property, energy savings, and maintenance environment. Nobody's going to fire their maintenance guy, Spencer, if they no, no. change their life. But let's say you can, you can now have that guy go work on other things, right? Instead of just running around the cart changing light bulbs all day. So you're realizing the savings there maybe. Maybe you're upkeeping other things that aren't failing and saving maintenance. I don't know how you ever put a number on that, but I would think it, if I was in a CFO's position, I would at least consider it. I, th- I think in you know two to five years, what we have to think about as lighting distributors is is this idea that maybe it's going to become a consumer product, Mike. I know that we don't necessarily agree with it. But maybe if, if we're selling fixtures that they're going to have to throw away, at some point, that's going to have to be the mindset of the customer. And we're going to have these next two to five, maybe seven years where a lot of people are going to be mad at us. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're going to have or, to filter or, out or that. Or the world's, and, the world's just going to be dim. Right. Because if. Or they're going to be dim. Yeah. Right. They just, they continue just to run. Forever. Yeah. They just yeah. continue to drop in lumens. So that, that is, I think, probably the thing we have to do as distributors and lighting people is educate the end user that you go in that space every day, you're probably not noticing that you're now two years down the road, you're 20% less four years down the road. Now you're 50% less light. Now it's become a safety concern. You know that, how do you do that? Are you going to the space every six months and doing a, you know, light reading? I I don't see a distributor doing that, right? We're not going to go do that for free. But it it might have to get to that point and that, yeah, you're going to have to service it and, and I think it's going to be a mindset shift if, if that's what we're going to continue to do that we're going to be, people are going to be pissed off for the next few years and then they're all going to get over it. And that's just what lighting is now. And then we're going to have our new version of what a lighting distributor is. Maybe. I'm a huge yeah. proponent of planned obsolescence. We need to put chips in these fixtures yeah. that when it hits 70% lumen output, it dies. It turns off to alert the customer that you're now at a, you know, it's a safety concern. They do it in smoke yeah, detectors. Yeah. Right, they have planned obsolescence. Yeah. Why don't we do that in lighting? Hmm. That's actually a great idea. There you go, Spence. I'm telling you, I don't understand why nobody's thought of that. It, I, th- I, I, I don't, I, I don't think they're concerned about their light fixtures lasting longer than seven years. That's why. True. True. <laughs> you understand what but I'm I, saying? Like, I, I don't think I, there's actually a concern. That mm. in the manufacturers that their lights are going to last, the, the LEDs and everything's going to yeah, okay. dim slowly over 20 years. Yeah. I think they're pretty sure that they're going to burn out quickly, and that's the planned obsolescence mm. already. Um, yeah. We don't have these kinds of discussions with my – I don't really have these kinds of discussions with my employees. Mm. I find it it's a little bit awkward um, mm. to, like, 
you know, when I'm talking to a, to listen to them and, you know, it's, this is a, this is a high level conversation that goes out to the get a grip on lighting audience. That's about what do we do as an industry to solve this problem? And you guys are now stakeholders, your owners, right? Your owners in this game. Do you feel at all? I'm going to start with Greg first. Do you feel bad at all? If you have a project and it comes back in two or three years and someone says, hey, remember that water park we went to back in 2014? Got any, have any problems there? Mm, there's a couple that are out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Do you ever <laughs> yeah. feel like, oh, God, don't, I don't want to answer that call <laughs> yet. Yeah, what's up, man? You ever get that cringiness? I do. I do, honestly. Yeah, like when it comes to stuff that I know is not easy to replace, I do. If, if, if but if you go with a manufacturer you trust that's going to back it, then that kind of helps you. So that's why you got to make the right decision up front. But it is hard because there's times when you you want to win the sale, you want to get the sale, and if if your competitor is doing this and you want to get it, you have to do that. Then you can't. Really. So to answer your question, kind of <laughs> gray zone. <laughs> John yes or no? Both. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've definitely had some some projects that i've sold where i walk away feeling yeah i probably shouldn't have done exactly that i wish i could have you know upsold them to something that i you know believed in a little bit more um but generally i don't hear back from those people you know it's it's the the customers yeah (laughs) well i guarantee some of them have uh have failed and they haven't called me (laughs) so yeah uh but no, I had a I had a small condo job where the guy was he would call me like every time something went wrong and and you know it's it's a pain in the ass with LED because you're like it's just an LED like it shouldn't be having these problems but the thing you got to remember is LEDs aren't you know um, they're not a hundred percent perfect like they've kind of been put on this pedestal right an LED fixture is going to solve all your problems if you put an LED fixture in but it's just an, an electronic you know, thing, you know, things fail like in electronics all the time. So you have to deal with it. And as long as you are dealing with manufacturers, like Greg said, that you can stand behind, you know, I, I got this guy, you know, three or four different warranties, uh, callbacks from the manufacturer in the the five years that that he had it. And then after the warranty was over, he was like, you know what, the warranty's over. I still didn't have a problem. I'm willing to, to, put out my own money to fix it because you helped me during all that warranty time. So as long as you're helping the customer throughout all that stuff, taking those hard phone calls, making sure you're working with, you know, uh, a good manufacturer that you you can work with, that's not going to, you know, be, you know, gone in a couple of years, that customer is going to be a lifelong led customer with you after the warranty is over. They're willing to to pay up front for, for something to get fixed. If you helped them throughout the, the those five, ten years, whatever the warranty is, Spencer, cringiness. So the que- the question is, do we feel bad? Yeah, like do you ever I get that? You bad. look at your cell phone and you're like, no, God. <laughs> Every day, <laughs> every day. Hello, <laughs> hello. Yeah. Uh, Mike's calling me again. <laughs> yeah. The um, only time I truly feel like, oh, I really, I I shouldn't have done that is when you, as the distributor. You know, we're supposed to vet the manufacturers. We're supposed to be selling the good product, mm-hmm. the, you know, quality product. So when you have a manufacturer, say, Lunera or, say, SimCar, who – take SimCar, for example. They had a storied history. 
Hang on. A distributor. Is that company out of business right now? Yes. Well, there's oh. a, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 They are. There's okay. a. But anyway, both. Wait, um, Sim car is and is not out of business. Someone okay. bought the name, right? Yes, yes. Exactly. They may be coming right. back. They may, whatever. Take take those names for example. I would say they were both well known in the industry. As a distributor, when the agent or the regional guy comes into your office, you you think you're dealing with a good company, a reputable company that'll stand behind it. You sell that package, you sell the product. Two years later, they're gone. And there's no more warranty. And, you ha- and then your customer calls. That's when I feel bad because we've stood behind and we've said we're the leaders in lighting in our market. We, we say this is a good brand. You shan't, shouldn't buy from you know X company over here because they're selling garbage out of a trunk. That's when I feel like, man, we, we, we didn't do our job to vet that manufacturer. Um, so those are, that's when I feel bad. You know, if you sell a GE lamp and it melts and something happens like that, you know you can go back to them and they're going to take care of it. So I don't feel bad in that stance. Um, it's just when we have put into the market something that somebody else failed. You know, when you, you can't control what other people do type of situation, that's when I, uh, I just, like, man, we, we should have been better about that. We should have never backed that company. You know what? Um, you know what's interesting about lighting distributors? And this is why I think Nailed is so important and why Nailed needs to make a really strong comeback and we need to put together yeah. an association. And when I'm, when I'm out there and I'm talking to people and they ask me, what's the payback? I always tell them there is no payback. Yeah. It's about us giving back to the industry that's done so much for yeah. us. And that's why you should join Nailed. That's the argument. I, I counter with them. It's not about you. It's about the industry. Mm. And, and that's been very successful in our push right now where we just say, we're, yeah, there's lots of things that you can. This is not a buying group. It's, mm. not, it's not tainted by a rebate. We're doing this because we actually are trying to help the industry we're in. And I think of, of all the, the points, the hot seats in lighting, I think the hottest one is the distributors. Because mm. um, I had a manufacturer just the other day. Uh, first of all, they fired me as a customer because I tore, I tore up their warranty on the light Ted on the video show. After, <laughs> I'll go check it out. After oh reading God, it, I, I, I read their, their warranty on the light Ted online video show. And I know they subscribe to this podcast because I can see the subscriber list. Okay. So I tore their warranty up on the light Ted online video show and uh, read it. But I didn't say who it was, and I'm not going to say who mm. it was. But the mm. kind of crap they come up with to get oh, yeah. out of to get out of um, servicing their warranty is disgusting, man. They're, the, they're just they're following the healthcare insurance industry, right? It's all about mitigating. Yeah, That's exactly. Attrition. What they're doing. Attrition. Yes. Introduce yeah. attrition, right? Mm-hmm. Introduce a strategy that makes people fax in their warranty claim. Mm. Or something like that, right? Yeah. Fill it out, print out this form, handwrite it, and fax or it. Pony Express it, yes. Yeah, and have it notarized by a lawyer or something, you know? And then they come back and, you know, there's voltage surges at your property that are the problem. And God, you know what? Yeah. I mean, the Magical Mystery Tour, I think um, lighting distributors are in the hot seat. And what we've been able to do with Nailed and what we're trying to do with Nailed is kind of spread some of that heat out. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, sometimes I find, you know, there's these layers between who's responsible and not. And we're standing there in front of the customer. The distributors, they're calling yourself. They're texting Greg. 
They're texting yeah. Spencer. They're calling Spencer. And I think that's that's where they're not – oftentimes it's not the contractor. I don't know if you guys notice you deal with a lot of contractors, right? Mm-hmm. They're going after Pacific Lamp. You're the ones who sold me these lights. I don't care who Lanero is or SimCar or their storied history or anything. I got 40 lights out in my parking garage, and I put them in two years ago. Um, and I can't seem to get any traction with this warranty. I think lighting distributors are in the hot seat, and I think it's going to get hotter, and we have to find a way to spread that heat up up the chain a little bit. To uh, And you know who gets off scot-free? You know who gets off scot-free in this whole thing? Agents. No. Yes, them too. <laughs> they, yes. they do, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure they do. Yes, them too. Yep. Yes, so agents and the DLC. Oh, absolutely, they, yeah. They, the DLCs, you know, I mean, so many people look at that brand and think it's an assurance of quality. And it has nothing to do with quality. It has no. only to do with, well, not now it does, but in the past, it only had to do with lumens per watt. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And they called it the quality products list. It's on the quality. They called it a QPL. And I'm, hit, I'm hitting them with heat here. I'm hitting them with some heat. But I, I feel So let like, me ask you this. Have you seen, this brings up a great point. Have you seen anybody offer insurance policies on their lighting? Hmm. I have not. Whew. I don't know how you underwrite that. I mean, uh, true. I mean, I uh, extended warranties, or do you mean like a, a third-party insurance company? Like a third-party insurance company, yeah. You ever tried to use a third-party insurance company on a fridge or anything like that? You ever tried to file one of those? Oh, it's been the house. Yes. That's where I got the <laughs> yeah. idea of faxing it. Right, but when you're buying it, it's a great idea. You're like, oh yeah, because my last one just died, right? Because usually when you're going to be buying that fridge, because at that you're not buying one because you want you know a water spigot. So at that point, your mind is thinking, oh, if I can get an extra five years for forty dollars, whatever it is, whatever they're charging you, you think it's a great deal. Why don't we do that in lighting? Why hasn't somebody said? You know what? Instead of dealing with the manufacturer's warranties, which we all know now at this point are a pain. I had one from a major manufacturer the other day that showed up uh, because of freight two days past their, um, what it was, a 30-day expiration date on the RGA. They refused it at the dock. So now it's being held. I'm paying storage fees, hundreds of dollars per day. I got to pay a redelivery to get a new RA. By the time I get that figured out and redelivered, I've paid more than the return's worth. A moment, you know, so if you instead of having that, you could just go file a third party insurance claim and you never have to return it. It's not a bad idea. Something. Yeah. Spencer Something. coming out hot with a couple of them today. Yeah. Spence. <laughs> Luck, luckily, I know somebody in the insurance, right? John? <laughs> uh, I actually asked my wife works for an insurance company. I asked her if she would, you know, insure a couple things for me. And she said no. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You go to go to an underwriter and say, "Look, uh, I'd like to insure yeah. a non-maintainable asset that's fixed to real property that consumes electricity <laughs> nope. in the past five years." Yeah. Uh, are you crazy, buddy? And what what's included in the warranty? I need the yeah. replacement cost of the new fixture, and I need the labor, and I need the recycling of it. All and that. a lift, and not only that though, but um, also I need you to insure for light losses because at seventy, even if it's still working, if it's lost thirty percent of it, light's considered burned out too. What do you think, Mister Underwriter? Mm-hmm. He's gonna say, "Yeah, I don't think so, buddy." <laughs> or, or he'll do it, and it'll just be smoke oil. 
True. Right? Nah, you just have a higher premium. Yeah, yeah. that's all. I don't know. <laughs> that's a tough one to say, um, to go with. But, uh, you know, we've almost done an hour here, boys. And to get a grip on Lent just like that. Has the sun risen in the Pacific that's yet? It. Is that a window there, Spencer? That is. You're starting to see it come up there. Yeah. Uh, it's it's still gray over here. So yeah. gray? There, there's, no, there's no sun. There's no sun. <laughs> that's well, our December sun. Congratulations, yeah. guys. Um, thank you for being a guest on Nailed. Spencer, you're having a big year, buddy. President of Nailed. Just took over the company. Um, that's a, a, a busy, fun, wild ride. Thank you for your service to this association, Spencer. Thank you for having us on. I appreciate it. And, yeah, uh, thank you. and be sure to tell your listeners, you know, join Nailed. That's, uh, you just did. <laughs> you I'm just telling did. you. That's, that's what changed it for me. Okay, that's well, hang on. Really... Let's, let me ask you that. Mm-hmm. We always get asked what the payback is. And here, here's, mm-hmm. the, here's, here's what's interesting to me. I Eventually, I just got frustrated with that. Because mm-hmm. us, people have confused, like, and, and I'm not saying... I think IMARC's a great organization. I think AD's a great organization. Yeah. I think buying groups are great. I got nothing against mm-hmm. buying groups. But there's a big difference between association, which you voluntarily join and pay to be a part of, and a buying group, which pays you to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. There's a fundamental difference between those two things. Why are you a member of this association, Spencer? Why do you stay a member? Why did you agree to be the president of this association? When I would say it was maybe my third year at the conference. You know, at first I was going because I was told to go. Um, and you got to go to a nice place and you get out of the office. The thing that changed for me was I was talking to another member um, at that point, 2009. We were talking about what the same vendor we had. And we were talking programs, uh, you know, back-end programs. What do you do here? What do you do here? I found out what they were getting in, you know, MDF funds was able to go back to the office, put that in place. That first year, that was $12,000 in our pocket. So to me, that's a payback. payback for, that's a payback for 20 years, right? Um, or maybe 10 years with Nailed. So there's your monetary payback. You, you learn something either about your business or about the lighting industry or about manufacturers, whatever it is that you can go back and get for monetarily. That's not the reason. I'm in IMARC for monetary reasons. Um, so after that, it became the relationships, all great lighting people. And B, you get to go and talk to people about what you do every day. You're not going to do that usually in your own market, right? You're not going to, in your city, you're not getting three or four lighting guys together because they're your competitors. Every day you're, you're competing against them. You're trying to beat them. So to go and talk to you know, Greg from Minneapolis, where I, I don't sell anything in Minneapolis. I don't sell anything in Toronto or phoenix or des moines iowa right we don't sell anything in there so to talk to those guys who run very similar businesses and learn what they're doing is is a price it's priceless there is no payback it's it's about making yourself better for your company to take back to your market and then beat those guys that you consider competitors so i don't think you can you can put a price on that we should be charging 10 times by the way just for that I don't know if we should be charging 10 times or we should be, or we should be making people make longer commitments to the association. True. And it, I will say, like I said, it was year three, right? Yeah. It took me a while and I'm not a very, you know, sociable person like that where I can just walk into any situation and talk to people. So it did take me a little longer, but you, you learn and, and the speakers we get, you know, I go to NAD, I go to IMARC, I go to all these shows 
and maybe I'm biased because I'm on the board, president seven years, but we have the best and most knowledgeable speakers in the lighting industry, bar none. You, you just don't see our collection of people in one location in one or two day period at any other show. You just don't. Uh, so that's to me that in that alone, you, it's almost like you're going to school for two days. You learn so much that that three to four day period that you're there. John, anything, Again, to, add to, anything to add to that, John? Uh, yeah. You know, for me, you know, like you said, I've only been probably third. This might be my fourth year going this upcoming. Uh, but it's the it's the relationship, you know, aspect that I think has been the the biggest takeaway for me, right? Not just with my you know peers in the lighting distributor side, but the manufacturers that are smart enough to send the same person year after year, mm. and you get to know that person on the manufacturer side, and know that you can call somebody when something does go wrong with a customer, and say, hey, look. I got this problem. I need your help. Um, you know, versus calling a random customer service number for a manufacturer because you don't know who to talk to. Uh, that that right there is is beyond priceless. You know, if you if you have you know that partnership with certain manufacturers, uh, that feeling of a partnership versus this is just some some guy I buy from. You know, mm. it's it's more of a partnership when you're part of Nails. You know, with those manufacturers that are there. So, folks, if you've enjoyed this conversation and you think, hey, that was really interesting. I'm a lighting distributor and or, you know, whatever I do. And I, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's what this is what happens at Nailed All Day. So we have conversations like this. We have speakers that talk about it. So go to NAILD.org for right now. Spencer, John, Greg, good conversation, man. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. The Flicker Free Original, son. Energy Focus, go to E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com, baby. Home of the scholarly gentleman, John Tapp. That's right. And a dedication to LED tubes. And I like that for one because I sell a lot of LED tubes. Um, and I think a lot of end users are going that route too because it's pretty easy to replace. They're energy efficient. They don't cost as much as fixtures. So there's a lot of good with it. And they don't only just sell LED tubes that everybody else has. They have unique offerings that nobody else has. Um, flicker free original, as you mentioned, very important and something that needs to be at the forefront of more people's minds. And I think it's starting to get to that point and they've always owned that. So they're the flicker free people. If you need tubes, they also have that red cap emergency tube, awesome product IntelliTube, they have T fives. They have everything you can need for a tube. So check those guys out. Energy focus. And be ready to come down to Biloxi, Mississippi, ladies and gentlemen, because nailed convention. We got a pre-convention, which is super hot. We got the convention, which is Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, stacked full of lighting information. We got the debate between Energy Focus and TBA. Someone's got to step up and fight for the integrated side, and then the crowd's going to decide who the winner is. And we got a post-convention with a whole bunch of stuff going on on the Thursday, Greg. Who's putting this thing together? It's going to be fun. Woo! I know a few hot. people involved. Wow. <laughs> Check it out. That's a hot show. So, folks, come on down to Biloxi, Mississippi. I know you haven't been there. Who's been to Biloxi? I don't know anyone that's ever been to Biloxi. All I know is I saw that movie, Biloxi Blues. Good movie. Huh, huh, huh. So, folks, Check thank you for listening. We're always grateful to you guys out there for making this thing happen for us, to all our sponsors, but the listeners, the members of Nailed. Peace out.
Written on the rectory wall There's a sign there for all You are lost, Lord is there to find you 